You've tuned into another episode of Radio Free HPC, the show where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and a variety of high-tech topics. I'm Dan Olds from Intersect 360 Research, joined as always by my co-hosts, Henry Newman of Seagate Government Solutions, Shaheen Khan from Orion X, and our near-millennial standout, Jesse Lanham. In association with our media partner, HPC Wire, let's get on with the show. Hey there. If you're hearing this, that means that we receive payment to discuss the following topic. Now, we're radio free and always will be. They're paying for the privilege for us to discuss the topic. Our opinions, however, those can never be bought. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another scintillating edition of Radio Free HPC. As we've been saying, these episodes are 29% more scintillating than episodes in the past. And that's something we're going to keep up. We have got Henry out at his survivalist compound in Las Cruces, New Mexico. How's it going, Henry? Excellent, Dan. And you had a what I think is a world record low utility bill due to your massive solar installation. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, my electric bill was five cents, including all fees for the month November. That's kind of upset. I'm saying I was just going to insert that that's including keeping your big swim spa at 90, how many degrees? 95. Oh, and it's a big swim spa. That's a lot of water to heat. It is a lot of water to heat. So I think we can assume that things have been sunny down there. Yes, it has been fairly sunny, five or six days of all clouds, Dan. And we actually had rain in November at one point. So I'm pretty happy with the five cent electric bill for November. I think that's a pretty good payback. And we have Jesse Lanham out in West Lafayette, Indiana. How's it going, Jesse? I'm doing all right. It's dead week, so we're doing the best we can. <laughs> How many exams you have coming up? I only have one exam, which is nice, but then there's the whole slew of like final projects and papers and all of that jazz on top of it. Have we made progress on completing those or we leave oh, yeah, those yeah, till yeah, the yeah. last minute? No, I, I am never a last minute individual. My anxiety says no to that. So everything must be almost complete or waiting on, you know, team members or whatnot. Love those Okay, projects. so you're pretty close. <laughs> so the stress the stress shouldn't be too bad. No, no, it should it's fine. Manageable manageable yes excellent to hear so big news in the last recent days something a topic we've debated on this show a few times is the nvidia acquisition of arm and i know that the three of us never really thought it would happen guess who doesn't think it should happen either the ftc who has considerably more power than we have thoughts yeah, I, to sum it up, the director of the FCC's Competition Bureau had a really good like one-sentence summary of the whole thing, and I'm going to read what she said, and that's, the FCC is suing to block the largest semiconductor chip merger in history, prevent a chip conglomerate from stifling the innovation pipeline for next-generation technologies. And that that is, to me, the best summary of this whole ordeal. Yeah, she wasn't laying low with that. That's pretty big stake in the ground. What do you think, Henry? This is no surprise to me. It was just a, you know, it actually surprised me how long it took for the FTC to weigh in because we're getting close to the finalization of this at one point. There's no surprises here. We've got the UK. We have the FTC. We, you know, what's next? Who's next? EU as well. Oh, EU, the UK, and then China. 
and I see China acting as sort of the goalie here or the goal line defense in that I'm pretty sure you can count on a veto from China, but they're going to keep their powder dry until everybody else weighs in. Right. And at this point, there's no need for them to weigh in at this point. Exactly. You know, and, and one of the interesting aspects of this, I went through and read a lot of the complaint, at least until my eyes glazed over. The FTC is not the best writer out there. They could jazz up their writing a little bit, but that's the same with every government agency. But the point that I saw that really rang home is that if you're going to go to ARM to license the architecture or to enhance the architecture and have that that license that allows you to do that, you're going to have to share an awful lot of competitive information with them and a lot of your own IP in order to collaborate on that design. Right, Henry? Oh, yeah. And, you know, there would have to be some real significant firewalls between, you know, Amazon and NVIDIA and Google or, or, yeah, or whoever is building ARM-based processors. Or the thousands of startups that are Qualcomm. looking them too. But the thing is, NVIDIA is not talking about this in terms of having any firewall. They're talking about NVIDIA directly working with customers to come out with the very best ARM designs, I guess, naive or blind to the fact that many of these companies are going to see NVIDIA as a competitor. Right. It's interesting what their their position, and I don't, I don't see how it works, honestly. Yeah, I don't see how it can work. I mean, and I also worry about, there's a concept in, in trade law known as tying, which is compelling a customer to purchase a product that accompanies other product purchases, related or unrelated. And this happens all the time. I mean, we call it bundling. But in some cases, it can be illegal, and I think it can really stifle competition as well. That's really interesting. I didn't even know that that was a, a subsection of law and could be illegal. I'd always just thought of bundling as like a generic thing. It's like, let's say you buy a car and the automaker has a requirement that you buy tires from them. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, good example. That kind of stuff. And some of it is legal, some of it's shady, some of it's outright illegal, but it's really hard to prosecute but it's anti-competitive in many cases. Well, this could or couldn't fit into the whole situation. We just don't know what's going to happen. No, but it's just more grist for the FTC and for other regulators to give this thing a big thumbs down. Right. Now, one of the things that I've been saying is that this would make ARM an American company and governed by American trade laws. And I've had a few people call me out and say, wait a minute, no, there's something called the EAR, which says that if IP is produced in a certain place other than the U.S., that it's not bound by U.S. laws. But then, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a trade attorney, so I don't know the fine points of it. I've seen opinions going the other way. But the thing that I would point out that I think trumps that argument is laws and regulations can be changed quickly and radically. Yes. And it witness, best example, that was Huawei. We changed laws in order to blacklist law, Huawei and regulations. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. Ouch. We will see what happens. 
I don't know a time frame when this is going to be adjudicated. I mean, this is a lawsuit, I believe, and hopefully quickly. But what runs quickly in the government? Well, what runs quickly in any government? Well, that's the thing. Unless you have my own preferred form of government, if I were in charge, which would be an absolute dictatorship, run Dan by Olson, the whims of the myself. Dictator. Yeah, and I'd have no, the shades no, and, no, and the no, beret that no, I'd wear I, all the time. I don't think I don't see him as benevolent. No, I was uh, a nicety that I added. He would definitely not be a benevolent dictator. I'm well, glad you believe it. I think I'd be I'd be amiable at least. Really? Maybe not benevolent, uh, but I'd be amiable. I'd be in a I'd be know. in a pretty good mood if I were the absolute ruler of of some country. I feel like I listeners was, feel free to write us a note of whether you think Dan would be a good dictator and what type of dictator he'd be. I think I'd be okay. I feel and like I anyone know, be, who's saying I could be a decent dictator believes that. Oh, I'd be fine. I would. And I don't know whether I'd want to be referred to as a, you know, dictator or a strong man. I think a dictator. I think that implies more power. A strong man seems a little temporary and tenuous to me. Well, um, glad, glad we cleared that up. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty unconvinced that you're going to be good at either, Dan. I'd be much better than you, Henry, because you would be dictatorship by machine. <laughs> Your world is way too black and white, way too binary. No, I don't think so, no. Well, okay. We're never going to solve this. But what we will solve, boy, what a segue that was, is we're going to have a little discussion about advanced memory architecture. And it's, it's based on a webinar that our pal Addison did with some industry, industry luminaries. And they did a pretty good deep dive into this. Yeah, yes, so they did. Before we begin, just for users who are not familiar with hardware or familiar or new to HPC, just so we can get them in, in this conversation, can you two define what latency is, what bandwidth is, and how they're connected? Henry, you want to do latency that? Latency is the amount of time it takes for something to happen. So basically, from getting from point A to point B, that's your latency. And it's for the, you know, and then combined with latency is how, how fast, not how long, but how much you can send over there at what data rate. So the, the two interact. If you're sending small things and your bandwidth is, you know, many terabytes a second, but the setup time is a long time and the channel is a long way away, but I can push a lot over the channel. It means I have high bandwidth, but uh, excuse me, high latency and high, high bandwidth. bandwidth. Right. But, you know, latency is really important for memory because you're not moving a lot of data. You're moving a 4K page. Mm -hmm. Dan, and you, you might be doing it millions of times. Right. You want to add to that? No, I think you, you got that. And I think I've said on the show before that a wise old HPC person once said to me that if you're hitting bandwidth problems and scaling your HPC applications, that means you're doing HPC right, because that's the final hurdle. Right. If that's your the final that. wall you're hitting. So and part of what this webinar said in the title before it even started was just the title itself, which is memory architectures to overcome bandwidth bottlenecks. What then causes a bandwidth bottleneck in HPC systems and why is it a problem, which you're starting to touch on? There are multiple bandwidth bottlenecks. One bandwidth bottleneck is just not having enough, and then you're getting data 
from storage. And, and we've been talking about those kinds of problems. What's called, we used to call them out of core solutions in the seventies and eighties, where you kind of bringing in a, a chunks of your data and working on them in memory and the real data, you know, you're kind of using your disk or yeah, it was disk in those days and Cray had an SSD. You're using those as kind of your buffer for memory. Yeah, you can't, fit, you can't fit your entire data set in memory. So you have mm -hmm. to page out to disk. Well, okay. that's another way of doing this. Paging. Well, well paging, yeah. This is, yeah, that's another way. This is explicitly bringing in parts of your data as you need to work on it. The other thing, though, Jesse, the other problem you can have is like we alluded to just a couple of minutes ago of having high latency and having many, many little memory transactions, but each with high latency, and that can cause you to thrash right. and okay. slow things down. That's a bottleneck as well. Okay, that makes sense. So bringing it back to this webinar, why is this webinar being held? What's the point of this? Well, they're really talking about a potential breakthrough that IR Labs had with doing optical connections within the system to address both the latency and the bandwidth bottlenecks. And one of the things that, that happened early in it is they had a computer scientist from Lawrence Livermore who was talking about a study they did that shows that at least on the applications they looked at in their systems is that 75% of their node hours are using less than 25% of the memory node capacity. But paradoxically, they have more and dramatically increasing numbers of memory intensive workloads. And what that tells me is that they can't get the memory to the workloads that need them. Well, and, and the other point that this technology that's brought up at our labs is it's optical. And the big challenge people ha have is, okay, we do electrical connections. They're close nearby. You know, your memory DIMM slots are electrically connected. They're not very far away, and we can do that. But, you know, electrical connections are slower historically than optical connections, but they, you can provide more bandwidth, and they're a lot more cost-effective, electrical connections than optical connections. But, but doesn't optical change potentially change that equation oh i'm getting there dan absolutely okay. thank you now we can what they're talking about is moving memory farther away from outside the processor and this allows you to finally get the composable infrastructure people have been talking about for quite a long time so that if you need more memory it's going to be farther away it might be a little slower but we can deal with hierarchies of memory. It's still memory speeds once you get things going, back to the bandwidth and latency thing. And it's a major breakthrough to be able to do optical cost effective for at the bandwidth and the latency that we're talking about. So one thing that I want to do for a second is back it up again for listeners that are not familiar with hardware or are new to HPC. And talk about for a second, what are the usual ways that I.O. is done with HPC systems? Because you mentioned electrical, you mentioned optical. Which is usually used? Always. Electrical. Always electrical. Always electrical. So the, so the breakthrough except, here except that we're talking for, about is the ability to do optical. Well, to be clear, always electrical for memory. 
There are optical interconnects for that for are storage. used for storage. They're used for networking. They're used for communication. Finiband has optical connections, but this is optical for memory, and that's new. Okay. Brand so no, new. Has there been any attempt to do this sort of work in the past? Funny you should ask that, Jesse. There was a computer, and I think the computer system is now in the same building and room where the Ark of the Covenant from Raiders of the Lost Ark is. <laughs> it was built back in 1992. It's Supercomputer Systems Incorporated. And Steve Chen and his group built a system that I actually saw that was completely had an optical interconnect and optical communications, not optically connected memory, but optical communications for everything. The whole back of the system was glass. The backplane of the whole system was completely glass, and that's how everything moved optically. And you were perhaps the last person to see this thing before it went into the vault? Nah, no, <laughs> I wasn't the last person to see it. I'm sure the people who bought all that technology, which was at the time IBM, but they were the last people to see it before it went to the vault. So here's so a question. Saw it. Yeah. With it going into the vault, why do you think that between the time, first off, when, what year did you see it go into the vault, Henry? I mean, it was just a few years after they bought them. Nothing ever came out of it. And I'm going to anticipate your next question as to being why has no one else really done this? Yes, it that has is exactly been, where I'm going with this. It has been pursued. The problem, I think, has come down to cost, that it was not inexpensive. And it's still not, it's not cheap to do optical now, but the technology to do it then and scale it was very expensive back in the day. And that we've gotten over, we've gotten around it by, you know, going to like commodity x86 clusters, kind of doing quantity over quality. And our I.O. interconnects have gotten faster, except we're really feeling the pain from memory bandwidth, the memory bandwidth bottlenecks that we have. Mm, okay. Is that about right? I think that's correct. I think you know, that was really breakthrough technology when it was developed by Steve Chen and Supercomputer Systems, Inc. and the people there at the time. And... We got overcome with some events, but as you've heard me say in the show before, there's no new engineering problems, just new engineers solving old problems. I think this is one of them. That was going to be a unique machine and solve a lot of technology problems if it got to market and worked and all that other good stuff. But we, we need to bring that technology concept back because we've now hit the wall again. And the only way to bring, the only way to solve the problem is opt. Yeah. So besides expense. Well real, well, real quick, though, Jesse, yeah. optical has gotten a lot better with the amount of information you can send down a fiber. Okay. I mean, it, it has improved, I'm going to say, 100x with coherent, being able to send different frequencies of data down a fiber. I think you can send 80 to 100 of them now. I don't know. Are you deeper on that, Henry, than I am? I don't know the answer to the question yet. I don't feel like I want to answer that because I could be wrong. Well, I sat in on Marvell's analyst day just a couple of days ago, and I learned slow. So I'm not positive I got this right, but in talking to them, the amount of data and the latency of it, which is measured in nanoseconds, particularly at short runs, is about 80 to 100 times better with something called coherent technology, which allows you to send different frequencies down the same 
fiber simultaneously. So that's pretty sporty where I come from. (laughs) Anyway, Jesse, I interrupted you. I was going to ask, besides expense, are there any weaknesses to using an optical approach? It's new. And well, she said besides besides expense. (laughs) Besides expense, what are the weaknesses? Expense. (laughs) But there is a cost. You know, there's more than expense cost. It's a re-architecture in many cases for the whole environment because now you've got to connect optical on the motherboard. It's not just there are other things. There's cost issues throughout the whole ecosystem. It's not just the cost of this component. That's what I'm talking uh-huh. about. Okay, that, that's a good well, nuanced answer to that. Yeah, I think that they that there are some ways to connect into a motherboard without having to have entirely new motherboards. I don't know how you would do that, Dan, and, and meet the performance objectives. Because you, you'd have to go through the PCI line. I don't see how you don't, you have to build this right on, you know, next to the chip. So the chip is talking to the optical memory connect and not going through PCI, in my opinion. I mean, you could start with PCI, but to get the performance you need, there's got to be a new interface. And I don't know this. I probably should, but isn't there a way to do sort of a sleeve that goes over the processor pinout? Don't know. Don't know? Don't know. Don't know. Okay. But potential problem, a potential solution, maybe. So this hasn't come up in the you know weaknesses section, but I'm going to ask it in sort of another way just to sort of cover it because we're talking about performance. When it comes to optical I.O., is this a helpful solution for all types of workloads or is it only specific for certain types of problems? Boy, I think anything that we run into in AI or HPC, this would definitely help. It's going to help some more than others. For instance, think about Worf, Henry. Right. I mean, the issue really is, is how much memory do you need and at what latency? It's going to require, in many cases, rethinking the structure of your problem because you're going to have memory hierarchies. Yes, which will be able to be really super optimized right. if you had this. So you'd have you'd be able to take out some of those hierarchical relationships. Correct. It's, it's like suddenly if, I mean, the other effect would be like, for instance, the uh, advent of fast persistent RAM. You would want to re-architect many things to take advantage of that. And, you know, suddenly if memory bandwidth isn't the bottleneck that it used to be in latency, there are a whole lot of ways that you could architect your applications to get much more performance. So is right. there any reason but why we take wouldn't like optical I.O.? Like why are, besides, besides expense, should we just all jump on the optical I.O. bandwagon train and, and call that the next yeah, feature? I, well, if it, so until it's, we know the exact performance, the yes, we shouldn't do anything. But I think this is going to be critical for composable infrastructures. And we need composable infrastructures because if you're going to have a cloud or, or a set of machines that are going to do different problems every hour of every day or every day or every week, you need a composable infrastructure. Yes. Right. And, and we right talked back. about composable a couple episodes ago as well for listeners yes. that want to go back and hear more about that. But this gets right back to the point we made earlier that the Lawrence Livermore scientists brought up that memory is underutilized in a lot of systems. And yet the paradox is that they have a lot more applications that require huge memory intensity. This with composability gives you the ability to put together huge memory spaces. 
with low latency and high bandwidth. And that will allow those applications to run much more sporty than they could before. So in addition to the composability aspect of this, is this also going to be something that's going to be helpful for exascale level computing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just I think that's in, that. I think oh, it's yeah. implied by the fact we've been talking about that it's faster and all of that, but I wanted to specifically ask it so we could get a direct answer. No, absolutely. And I can't agree enough with what Henry was saying about this being a critical part of the path to composable. So, yeah. Anywho, but we're going to put the link up in the description for this episode. So please take a look at it. You're going to see a lot more details than what we discussed here because, well, we're just kind of like slow 12-year-olds when it comes to some of this new stuff. Speak for yourself about being slow and 12, Dan. Well, okay. He's a I'm fast 13-year-old, Henry is. Yes. But what we have to get to next, of course, is the catch of the week. Henry, I think your net's empty, isn't it? My net is empty for the catch of the week. I gave it to you, Dan. Yes. What about you, Jesse? You got anything? My net's empty. I'm, too, I'm studying. I'm working on projects. That's my, my cop out. Okay. Well, as Henry foreshadowed, he gave me my catch of the week. And we have to go into a little bit of Radio Free HPC history to put this into context. Henry and I have at various times had bets. And those bets have come down to lavish meals at the restaurant of the, the winner's choice at SC. And last time we had one, he paid off in Dallas, right? And yes, that was, was the Dallas. first time that was the first time I've ever asked a waiter if that full market price lobster could be had as an appetizer. <laughs> Not that I really like lobster that much. I just wanted to try it. <laughs> that was a uh, that was truly a profound bill to Henry. That was a good time. Yes, it was. Yeah. And so, was, it was sad that I lost. Yes. Sad for you, but I'm still burping up some of that tenderloin I had. Very good stuff. <laughs> Sue, our latest bet is that Henry made the bold statement maybe a year ago or longer that in 2022, we would have a RISC-V-based supercomputer on the top 500. I took that bet knowing that the Euroscale Exis Euro Exascale project system was slated to come online in 2022, but I tend to be a guy that bets on slippage, and I think I'm safe on this. But then Henry sends me a link that says, find it, it was something about someone has made a note based on risk, risk five. Ooh, yeah. ooh, this was supposed to throw a scare into me, but I guess the questions that I would have, Henry, is yeah. is this node on the top 500 yet? No, it's the building block for the top 500, Dan. That's the whole point. And this is for the Sci-Fi High Five Unmatched Developer Motherboard. So it's not on the top 500 yet. How many of these things do you think would need to be built to make up a top 500 kind of machine? Oh, tens of thousands. Tens of tens thousands. thousands. Tens yes, of because thousands. you're gonna, yeah, yeah, because not yep. one, more than one person's gonna need to do it. Yes, yes, and somebody's gonna need to order this and pay actual money for it. Right, tens of thousands of, of money. Lots oh of yeah, money. it's gonna be yeah. I would say the 
bottom end of the top 500, just if the high end is 450 million to get a number one level machine exascale today, put in a discount for that, maybe 350 million, 375 with cables. Yeah, Do you see, has somebody decided to write a check for that yet, Henry? Dan, we're, you know, that's, it's a big, bad, bad world out there. Stuff happens that you don't, even you don't know about. So at the latest, you have roughly 300 days for this thing to get specced out. No, less, far, far less than that. Well, the whole process needs to come in, I would say, a month before supercomputing in order for Dr. Jack to go out and run his lid pack. He retired, Dan. Well, whoever's going to take over for him, I think he would. I think he would roll out to run some lin packs. I don't think so. You pay his. You pay his airfare somewhere. He'll go. Give him a nice vacation. Give him a couple of days on either side of it. But anyway, are you ready to give up on the bet? No. Even with only three hundred days left. No. Okay. He never gives and, in, Dan. And where are we going to be next time for supercomputing? Dallas again. Okay. I like that restaurant we went to. I think we might we might uh, sign up there again unless unless I can find someplace more expensive. <laughs> so I want to well, I want to I want to keep my option open there. I want a place that's going to serve me up zebra for instance. And that's an endangered animal. Are you really that person? I don't think zebras are endangered. I saw lots of them in South Africa. I think zebras are okay. Now, I'm not going to order the hippo or anything like that, but I don't know, maybe a side of whale? It's the worst thing I've ever put into my mouth, Dan. There's a long story behind that. I did not knowingly eat whale, but someone made me eat whale, not said, try this one. A little oily and rancidy. I had it in Japan. They didn't tell me what I was that's eating right. after I, I ate it. Yeah. 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 That's I, the kind I, of I, dinners I've had those in Japan and China where it's, let's see what he'll eat. Exactly <laughs> what happened. And they take a little bite and then you're honor bound to take a bite yourself. Correct. That's where I first had flash fried uh, pigeons. Uh, well, that China. sounds better. Trust me, that's better than whale. And fermented tofu. I've mm. had that. I like that. Ugh, ick. It's like eating feet. Sue, okay. My bed is safe. And if you have any restaurant suggestions for Dallas, and I'd like to keep them on the high end, <laughs> please let us know at podcast at radiofreehbc.com. And there's even another great reason to send an email to us at podcast at radiofree.com. We have our biggest contest yet running. The 29th email we get will receive a brand new Microsoft Surface 2 Go tablet with keyboard, with stylus, with the cover. And that's about, it's getting close to a $600 value. It's a very nice little system. It's a tablet. It's handy. Keep it and run media on it, whatever you want to do. That's for the first prize. Second prize, which is going to go to the 23rd email we receive at podcast at radiofreehpc.com, is going to be a kind of a smorgasbord of prizes we have hanging around here, but plus something that Henry Newman uses multiple times a day in the summer to keep pests away from his survivalist compound. <laughs> and it is, a yes. two, it is something That's to behold watching Henry wield that. So that's our second prize. 
Third prize, I think I'm just going to send you a whole bunch of lanyards and crap I've got hanging around here in a SC backpack. And that's for the uh, 19th email we receive. And, and by the way, 19, 23, 29, what are those, Dan? Those are prime numbers, Henry. Okay, just just checking. That's how we roll here. It's the only way we, we do it. We roll in primes. Show. That's right. So I want to thank everybody for listening. We will be back at you. Oh, again. wait, wait, wait. And one, oh, wait, one wait. thing on the one thing on the rules. You can't send multiple emails. And yeah, get, it's one email. You know, it's one email. One email. But send your emails soon because we're going to time out this contest as well. We we withhold the right to uh, time it out if you guys are trying to sandbag and not send in emails. We've already received some. So get on your emailer, crank out an email. These are great prizes. Anywho, I think that's about it. Next thing coming up is we are going to do our gala holiday episode. Watch for that before Christmas. And then we'll see you in the new year. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Be sure and listen again. In fact, listen to the old episodes over and over again. It's a good way to go, and it helps our stats. We are up to 16, perhaps as many as 19 listeners right now. So thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Yay! Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. Reach out to us on email at podcast at Radio Free HPC or via Twitter at Radio Free HPC. As a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thanks again for listening.